0: Live as I get to do every Saturday morning now. Awesomeo.com, College Football Week Nine Edition. Certainly going to get into DFS. Certainly going to get into some betting. We got a big time slate. Third hey i'm games David. to break down. I'm Ben Raza here with Macajeski. Big Ten, you got your wish. It's on the slate, Matt. I know you are excited.
1: Dude, I got my wish, but I'm ben finally a Wisconsin Badgers fan, and they get scrapped. Big and ten, my you got your wish. The savior, Graham Mertz is COVID so I don't know when we're going to see the Badgers again but it is exciting to get some games I'm really excited for the Big Ten and we even have some games tonight that I'm excited for too oh no doubt
0: um I before we dive into anything I just want to ask you real quick so Trevor Lawrence has COVID it's a 10-day waiting period in ACC it's three weeks though for the Big Ten do you think that they're going to try to like alter that or some way because what is going to happen with the situation with Wisconsin
1: I don't know. They're a conference of no conviction. Obviously they delayed They're back. They have a 21 day waiting period. Nebraska tries to schedule a non-conference game. They say, no, there's, I don't know, a lot of rumors swirling around the big 10 and how they're going to handle this. So I think it's a fluid situation and we'll see as we get forward. I really don't know.
0: Yeah. I'm really interested to see exactly what they're going to try to do. As you mentioned, Nebraska tried to schedule the old, the old Chattanooga. Um, very, very shady, but we'll see. Uh, let's get into it though. Chad, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, yeah, I'm wearing a nice scarf because it is freezing in New York and it's freezing in my apartment and I just turned on the heat. Uh, Georgia, Kentucky going to the sec, no shock to see Georgia pretty heavy favorite here. Not a game that I I think is going to garner too much interest, Matt. Obviously these are both teams that want to run the ball good defenses on both sides but uh let's start with the bulldogs here what do you make of them going against what is a strong kentucky defense
1: i think we are going to see jt daniels at some point i'm not sure it's this game but kirby smart's been hinting about getting him involved i don't know when this is going to be initially kirby smart said that he didn't want to throw jt daniels out there after essentially having his knee reconstructed with an offensive line that only returned two full-time starters he wanted to at least let that gel a little bit. It seems like JT Daniels is coming along. So the first thing I think, how does this influence the offense? Stetson Bennett has just been a game manager. So maybe this is an upgrade for pass catchers. I've been really disappointed in George Pickens this year. He's been out-targeted by Kiaris Jackson, despite running far more routes. So this isn't a hard offense to wrap my head around right now.
0: It's tough. And like I said, Kentucky, say what you want. They've got some issues. They just lost to Missouri. The total in this game is only 42 and a half. Uh, now, the majority of those points are expected to come from Georgia. There's no doubt, but it's it's certainly not a game where I think you can look to much a, of a stack in the backfield. I mean, do you, do you have a feel? You got a 6K Zamir White. Anything there, or is this just a pretty light game on a 13 game slate?
1: Yeah, we, when we really saw Zamir White handle a large opportunity share, James Cook was out, and he is back. So now they're splitting the work between three guys. We'll see Kendall Milton mix in here as well, and it's a tough defense they're facing in Kentucky. So I'm not too interested.
0: Well, if you're not too interested in that, I have a, just a funny feeling that you're not super interested on the other side. Even up until I guess I might not even bet Kentucky today, which is a, a rarity in itself. <laughs> uh, that's how bad the spot could be. I just don't know what they're going to do on offense. They're going to, of course, try to run the ball. Running against Georgia is a very difficult task. Is there anything from Josh Ali to Joey Gatewood to whoever? Is there anything that you like about Kentucky today?
1: We've talked about this a lot. I think you could maybe target Gatewood. It's a terrible matchup, but you're basically playing Gatewood maybe thinking he might actually be good. And if he is, this is the only time you're going to get him at 4.7K. And that's really the only argument I can make for him because this de- Georgia defense is very good. So maybe Gatewood, because he's cheap and we just haven't seen him in the event he's a superstar, you'll never see him at this price again. Now, Josh Ali, I mean, people fell for the Josh Ali trap last week with Terry Wilson. He has a 35% target share, but that equates to 5.8 targets per game. So target share is not the end-all be-all. Consider the offense overall as well.
0: Do you expect Gatewood to have positive yards rushing in this game?
1: Yes, I do think so. He is a pretty good dual threat. He was yes. recruited. He was initially recruited as a dual threat over at Auburn, lost the job to Bo Nix, which is a concern by itself.
0: <laughs> the Bo Nix slander. One game in, Bo Nix slander.
1: Yep. You it knew it was going to happen.
0: I just worry. Yes, he has some dual threat ability. They may have trouble. And I listen, Kentucky should have, they do have a good offensive line. I just worry a little about him taking three or four or five sacks and that kills 50 yards of rushing uh, with the negative plays. So you're right. If you want to jam and, and we're going to get to a lot of marquee players, 4.7 for a QB who's going to be throwing the ball all over the place isn't bad, but I think it's just a price point play. Uh, that's all I really have. All right. Oh God, I we're getting these games out of the way early. Iowa State, the old 27 and a half point favorite on the road going to Kansas, 50 and a half point total. Iowa State, you know, it was a bad start to the season. They started to get it together, but then last week, Oklahoma State kind of, you know, just showed. I, I don't think Iowa State's that good. Uh, and it starts with Brock Purdy. I don't know what his deal is this year. 7,200, huge favorite. Do you like anyone on the Cyclone side of the ball?
1: I don't love Brock Purdy. He's been one of the biggest disappointments in college football. and It's not all him. This Iowa State offense is very slow. He's not getting as many opportunities as some other signal callers. So it's just going to be hard for him to reach 300-yard passing games. And we've seen that this year. He only has one so far out of six games. Averaging 31 attempts, that's not ideal for him either. I guess if you want to target Purdy, he has some dual threat ability. And they have the easiest matchup, arguably, of all time here against Kansas. But I really think this sets up for Brees Hall. Again, just a dream matchup for the run game. Kansas is allowing over 200 rushing yards per game. And Hall has eclipsed 20 touches in each of his last three games, averaging 141 yards on the ground in that span. Also has five targets in his last two games. We've seen him catch the ball quite a bit in the past. Last year, he had 23 receptions, which is pretty good for a college back.
0: So he's 9,100, uh, 400 more than ETN, and 1,000 more than everybody else. Do Simple question, and we'll circle back throughout the slate. Do you
1: think that's warranted that he should be the highest priced back? I do. I think he has the best volume. You can compare him to guys like Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard's not catching any passes this year, but he's similar in carry. So I think the uptick in price is warranted there. However, I you know, when you start looking a little bit lower, there's guys like Kyron Williams who might see 90% of his opportunity. And is it worth it to save that 10% but get like 2K in savings and salary? That's a conversation worth having. But I do think Brees Hall should be the highest price back on the slate.
0: Fair enough. Any love for Charlie Kohler at flat four? Or do you think just game script wise, possibly windy, kind of an unnecessary play to target him?
1: You can look to him. I always, the target share is going to be volatile for Kohler because they're not passing a lot, but I think he's arguably the top receiver on this team. He missed some time early in the year. So we just have 29 targets, which obviously falls behind Xavier Hutchinson, who leaves the team. But Kohler, I'm surprised they didn't price him up after last week where he did see a decent target share I mean this guy had nearly 700 receiving yards last year so I think as a punt play you can look to him I'm not too worried about the wind but I guess if you do think the wind is a factor just play Brees Hall
0: yeah I mean he he's got some uh, Ibrahim upside where he just finds the end zone like eight times in the first half Uh, that was a we're not going to talk about that game what a wild game though Um, On the other side, there's never much to talk about with Kansas. I mean, Velton Gardner may be the best you could do. Uh, I want to ask you about this. It's not the – when I saw the name, I was like, how did the Arizona State guy get to Kansas? It's a different person. Jalen Daniels is a different person than the other Jalen Daniels.
1: Who is this Jalen Daniels, for the Kansas uh, signal caller right now? Well, he's 17 years old right now. And he's playing quarterback for Kansas and Les Miles called him Cam Newton, which is certainly not true. Now he does have some dual threat ability. He's taking a ton of sacks. So it's kind of really limiting what he's doing on the ground, but this Kansas team has been pretty fast. I mean, if Jalen Daniels gets it together, maybe he's not the guy we want to play, but we could potentially see some of these targets come into play. They threw the ball 39 times last week. Jalen Daniels only put up 207 yards. If he starts being even slightly more efficient, I think we'll start wanting to look at some of his cheap pass catchers. But just right now, that's not the case.
0: Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. This is like
1: why are I they starting a who, 17 year old?
0: Yeah, I don't play people who can't get into rated R movies on their own. Like that just doesn't happen. Uh, but I do want to ask you, would you rather play him or Gatewood? Same
1: price. Gatewood.
0: Me too. OK. Uh, yeah, I think. If you, if you think that the game in Kansas can at least put up some points, I don't mind taking a stab, but to me, if you have the money, go get Brees Hall. If not, we still have a bunch of games to go, so we'll keep it moving. Kansas State, West Virginia, another Big 12 matchup, obviously not uh, the shootout that we want. Uh, I mean, it's the same story. You know, West Virginia is a five-point favorite. Over under, though, is 45.5, and, and that's all because of Kansas State. We say it each and every week with them. Uh, it doesn't really matter who the signal caller is. Will Howard again, 5,900. Do you like him? Do you like other guys on, on that side of the ball?
1: Will Howard's not much of a passer. He needs to get you there with the ground game. And he has done that to some extent. He hasn't like bonused or anything yet, but... I mean, 86 yards against TCU on the ground. That was pretty good for him as a rusher. I guess last week he was pretty efficient. He actually passed for 243 yards. But again, that came against Kansas. So we need to take that for what it's worth. He only had 117 yards the prior week against TCU. It's just a low volume attack. So I don't think we can really look to anybody. I think people will try to talk themselves into Deuce Vaughn, but he still hasn't really separated himself from Harry Trotter. Vaughn carried 25 times to Trotter's 14 over the last two games. So it's more of a 1A, 1B situation. And then if you want to take it a step further,
0: (laughs) there was a time in my life where I really thought Malik Knowles was like prime for a big time year that that's not happening. Is there anything to like in the Kansas state passing game?
1: I don't think so. There are none of them are really even averaging four targets a game.
0: Yeah, that's not going to get it done. Um, I will say, as we transition to the other side, I like West Virginia in this game. They're laying five points. I just think they're a better team. I know that Kansas State is scrappy. They can slow the pace, methodical. I have a feeling they're going to have a tough time running the ball against this front, and I do like West Virginia. I'm not super sold on them on the DFS side, but uh, what do you make of them as a whole, and do you like them on the betting side of things?
1: I do like them on the betting sides. I agree with you for DFS that it's going to be tough. The total is just so low in this game, and We've seen Kansas State depress play volume for opposing offenses. I think that could bring Letty Downs. He's been averaging 23 opportunities in four straight games. So I think that'll come down a little bit. But what we like about Letty Brown is he's still really active as a pass catcher. He has target counts of four, five, and eight in his three most recent games. I don't expect Kansas State to get up in this. But Letty Brown might be the best just pure bell cow back on the slate as far as receiving upside. He's right there with Brees Hall, I think.
0: In terms of their pass catchers, uh, they got a lot of bodies in there. You know, price-wise, right is separated a little bit. And then you've got four guy, three guys in the 4K range. Is there one that you think is vastly underpriced? Are they all getting equal target share? How do you prioritize the
1: pass catchers on the outside? So they benched Sam James because he keeps dropping passes. Like, he dropped four balls. And West Virginia has some of the worst drop problems this year. I think that regresses positively at some point. I mean, Sam James... He's second on the team in receiving yards right now, and he led the team with 69 catches last year. So I think he probably bounces back. With Sam James benched, Winston Wright was kind of the go-to option. He plays the slot role. It's kind of the H receiver that moves around a lot in West Virginia's offense, but 37 targets, all of them occurred in the slot, and he led the team with 12 last week. It seems like his role is growing. I don't really want to pay 6.2K for him, though.
0: Yeah, that's the the opportunity cost there. Not that it's going to totally disrupt things, but – God, uh, it's a little heavy for a 13-game slate. To me, this has the makings of a, a game that's going to be pretty ugly. I think Kansas State is really in trouble. Uh, West Virginia should lean on it. But to me, that sets up more, as you mentioned, for Letty Brown than the pass catchers. Yeah, maybe they get some work, but I, I think West Virginia's running it down their throat late and trying to salt that game away. So take that for what it's worth. All right, Beau, before we move to Clemson, hey, Chad, as always, you guys never let me down. A lot of people in here, which is very exciting for a Saturday morning. Gonna say, hit that like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit that notification bell, it really helps us out. It helps you guys because we have shows on shows on shows. There's MMA, NFL, obviously, some college football. If I muster up the courage to ever talk about golf again, I'll be back next week. Pat Perez withdrawing really, really hurt this morning. Uh, and last day to use the promo code PUMPKIN to get an awesome plus platinum weekly pass for just ten dollars and 31 cents. You save a bunch of money. I think today's today's Halloween, obviously, right? (laughs) Um, I'm I'm a little disheveled, I'm not going to lie. So this is it for the pumpkin. Get in there, ownership projections, regular projections, top stack tools, so much of the stuff that Alex Baker uses each and every day. Come on in just for a week. Check out Slack. That's worth the price on its own. But here we go. So I saw the Trevor Lawrence news. I ran to the window to try to get BC before the line moved. Now I'll tell you what, I'm kind of glad I didn't, because the more I dig in, I actually think Clemson might cover this number on its own, and we'll get there in a second. First, let's talk about the Boston College side of things. Uh, I know it's a team that you've you've hit the overs in some of their games because they are playing much faster. You're a fanboy for these Notre Dame transfers. We all know how you operate. What do you make of them going against what's an obviously stout Clemson defense?
1: So, we actually saw Syracuse move the ball a little bit against Clemson. I think Boston College is a better team, so maybe they have a chance here. Their team total is 17 and a half, so it's not terrible. They're expected to score some points at least. Like, I believe Syracuse's team total going into last week was 11, but we like Boston College a little bit here because they run so many plays and they're passing a good amount, and they surely will do so here. Phil Yurkovic, the Notre Dame transfer, he is a really good dual threat quarterback, but he's taking so many sacks that it's really mitigating his upside. However, he has four 300-yard passing games in six games this year. It just speaks to the volume of this Boston College offense. So maybe this doesn't really apply to Yurkovic and Boston College like as an offense overall, but if you're stacking Clemson, I think it is viable to run back one of these guys on the other side, and maybe that's how you want to approach the game.
0: When, when you look to possibly run it back, uh, are you are you thinking more on the outside? Are you thinking David Bailey, or is it more like Jalen Gill, a Flowers type?
1: It's probably not David Bailey They're It's not the same Boston college of old. They're They have a completely new coaching staff and David Bailey. He was out carried by Travis Levy last week. I'm not sure if that continues, but either way, just because they're passing the ball so much, we don't have these 20, 20 carry games from the runners, even when Boston college is losing. So I think looking to Hunter long, this team starting tight end, he has 75 and a half receiving yards per game. I think that makes him semi viable. Zay Flowers is kind of more of a gadgety type player, but he has 53 targets this year, which is five fewer than Hunter Long. And he leads the team with 473 receiving yards. So if he catches a big play or, or Boston College gets a big play in the past game, I think it's likely Zay Flowers. Jalen Gill has seen his route rate drop for five consecutive weeks now. And CJ Lewis has actually surpassed Gill, and he ran around on 96% of dropbacks last week has at least five targets in three straight games. So if you're just looking for a compete punt play, I think CJ Lewis is your guy over Jalen Gill.
0: It is kind of an interesting game to load up on. Uh, if you think that Boston college can put, and Syracuse did look okay. Obviously they were just completely outmatched. Uh, and Clemson is going to be, at least I think just fine on offense. So Lawrence is out. We'll see if Notre Dame catches a break as they always do. Um, and if he's back next week, but, Regardless, right now, I'm not even going to attempt to say this guy's name. DJU is their new quarterback, 6,800, big-time recruit, clearly mobile. Uh, I I watch more Citadel football than any person on the earth, and we saw him in mop-up duty there. Certainly is live to find the end zone on the ground. What do you know about him, and what do you think about in terms of the domino effect it'll have on ETN, Rodgers, and the entire
1: offense? Yeah, he's the number one quarterback recruit in the country, and he's massive. He's 6'5", 245-pound, five-star recruit from the incoming class, does have some chops on the ground, already 32 rushing yards. And he comes in discounted. And when this line moved, I was really surprised. I kind of took the opposite approach of you. Instead of trying to get Boston College right away, I was like, I'm going to take this when Clemson's at the lowest point. So I took Clemson minus 24, because I don't think Trevor Lawrence is worth 10 points to this offense. Like they have, I think – Five, three different five-star recruits on their team, just at the quarterback position. And do you think even if Clemson didn't throw a pass, like they would win this game with ETN? I think so too.
0: I'm like, I said, I'm glad I didn't get the number because the more I dug in, uh, I think you're getting a massive discount on them sitting, laying 25 points. They could run it down their throat. This guy clearly can move the ball the other thing it's not like we haven't seen him Clemson pulls Lawrence basically every game uh it's just a matter of is it at halftime or is it after the third so this guy's gotten a little experience and and there's no doubt about it that they're overmatched I guess the question is I think most people think Lawrence is out ETN is going to have 30 touches on the ground do you think his volume necessarily goes up or do they just kind of run the same offense same type of you know personnel and whatnot
1: ETN is handling 18.3 opportunities. So that's carries plus targets per game, which is not anywhere close to guys like Letty Brown, Breeze Hall, Chuba Hubbard that we'll get to. I do think they lean slightly run heavier with their, their new freshman signal caller, but I still don't really expect Clemson to have a lot of trouble with Boston college today. So do you, like how many carries do we think ETN actually gets? Like, I think they probably get up early in this game. There's still over three score favorites, do we even see a full complement of snaps for ETN? I'm not 100% sure we do.
0: I, I don't think so either. And listen, I know Lawrence can move, but I worry about this guy around the goal line if you're rostering ETN. Yeah, now, it's obviously, he can break 70-yard runs at, you know, at any time, but Clemson clearly is comfortable using DJ as a runner, Cam Newton-like in the red zone he's a big guy you mentioned it i wouldn't be stunned to see him have a couple goal line touchdowns that's going to come directly at the expense of a guy like Etienne. so he's always going to be in play i don't think this is an upgrade for him though at
1: quarterback i really don't i agree with you so i've tried to project this offense this morning and clemson of course is a massive team total so if you're just looking at price adjusted like plays as far as salary goes DJ is going to be one of the best quarterbacks you can target on the slate, but I think we need to always worry about the fragility with these Clemson players. Like Travis Etienne could score three times at the same time. Travis Etienne could have 10 carries for 60 yards and then be out of the game at halftime. All of these players, we have to worry about the fragility when you're targeting them and it stems to their pass catchers as well. Amari Rogers, 6.5 K Cornell Powell, 3.8 and Frank Ladsen 4.3. The reason we don't see these guys price like Alabama receivers is because they essentially play a half of football and then they're off the field.
0: No doubt. And yeah, it's, it's a roulette situation. You, you've, you've tweeted this before. Like somebody on Clemson is going to have 150 yards and two touchdowns at halftime, but there's like eight guys that it could be. So it's just very, very difficult to tell who's who uh, I don't mind the shots. Obviously massive team total Clemson's going to be just fine, but keep that in mind to me. I'd rather find the the money and go elsewhere at running back. I'm not going to lie. All right. We officially, it's time, the first time we do a Big Ten game, Michigan State and Michigan, uh, big-time rivalry game, but it's not expected to stay close at all. I don't know how much of this is just scoreboard watching. When you lose to Rutgers, though, uh, you shouldn't ever be less than a 21-and-a-half-point dog, which they are here, going into Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. I, what is going on? We'll start with Michigan State. What is going on? Their defense looked non-existent. I know they lost a ton. Lombardi threw a ton, but again, they were down. Now they get Michigan. What do you make of the Spartans? Are they as bad as they looked in this opening week?
1: Man, I hope not. I So they have a completely new situation here. Mel Tucker is now their head coach. He brought over Jay Johnson, who was also his OC when they were at Colorado last year. And this is an offense... It's pretty different from the Michigan State offense we've seen in the past. They're far more fast and they're passing the ball quite a bit. And we saw that with Lombardi. Lombardi, I mean, he attempted 43 passes. He backdoored his way into a 300-yard game. Prior to that, he only has one 300-yard performance in his career. It came back in 2018. We've seen Lombardi a lot, actually. Brian Lewerke was constantly hurt over the last two years, so we've seen Lombardi, and he has not been an efficient passer. He has a like he had a 48.6 completion percentage and a 5.2 yards per attempt. Like that's pretty, pretty dang bad.
0: Yeah, it's not good. And again, this was against Rutgers last week. He does have a couple weapons. In particular, the guy I want to talk about is Jaden Reed, who is, uh, I, you know, I remember him at Western Michigan. He looked good last week. Is he going to be the alpha on this wide receiver core? And in a game where they're going to obviously be trailing, uh, do we go to him at 6,300?
1: I think you can 12 targets. It was tied for the team lead last year and he's used more downfield. He had over a hundred yards receiving and he functions as their main slot receiver. Mel Tucker is going to rotate his receivers a little bit, but Jaden Reed ran about half of his routes from the slot. Again, we missed him all 2019 because of the transfer regulations in the NCAA, but I do think he is the number one receiver here, but I think it's close enough with Jalen Naylor where I'm not sure I want to pay the 6,300. Naylor is a boundary receiver for the Spartans. He's finally healthy enough. He's kind of been a buzzy guy around the Spartans for the last few years. But he also had 12 targets, only received 84 yards. But I think because Michigan State's passing so much, we could see one of these guys become viable.
0: Anything in the Michigan State backfield, or are we just sticking to
1: you know the, these pass catchers potentially? Oh, man, it was a horrible rotation. I think a lot of people <laughs> thought Elijah Collins was going to be the dude, and he was horrendous. He only had... Three total rushing yards on nine attempts last week. They have a true freshman there in Jordan Simmons. He only played 27% of the snaps, but he just outperformed Elijah Collins. And then we have Connor Hayward, who's their receiving back. So it's just a mess.
0: Okay, yeah, that's a no. Uh, On the other side, got to give them credit. Go into Minnesota. They were a slight favorite, but they absolutely dominated. Now, maybe Minnesota's just not good. Uh, There's always that, but Joe Milton looked good. The running game looked good. Haskins was running wild, Charbonnet was running wild. What do we make of a Michigan team here that's obviously a heavy heavy favorite at home?
1: It's really tough to say with that performance they just rolled up on on Minnesota. Like they only ran 56 plays. So they just absolutely demolished them. They had the highest yards per attempt on the ground in the country last week, and it wasn't even close. If we look back to last year to kind of gather what Michigan had been doing, they're a moderate offense, 71 plays per game, with 65th in the country. They passed 47% of the time. Of course, that was with Shea Patterson. Now they have Joe Milton, who's a pretty good dual threat, so I expect this to drop a little bit. Milton had 52 rushing yards in that week one contest. Again, Minnesota looked horrific on the ground. Milton only threw 22 passes, but he still racked up 226 yards, so he did look fairly efficient. I think maybe he's an outside consideration in some tournaments. They're a heavy favorite here, but this game doesn't have the best over-under overall on the slate
0: yeah over under at 51 um I think it could be an interesting game to see just to get gauge a little more on these teams not one I'm not making a play on the game in betting and I, I don't have a lot of interest here uh so we'll keep it keep it moving this is a fascinating game to me Memphis six and a half point dog looking like it's going to go to seven uh going into Cincinnati 56 and a half point total we know about the loss of Coxie. Obviously, Memphis has weapons for Brady White. We're going to get to Cincinnati. I got a lot of questions about them. Uh, but I guess start with Memphis. How big of the loss is Coxie? Do guys like Dykes and Austin and Washington just step up immediately? How do you prioritize it? What do you make of Memphis as a whole?
1: Apparently, bookmakers and DraftKings in particular don't think Coxie is a big loss because Brady White is 9,700 And Memphis is only, they're nearly a touchdown dog in the spot. Cincinnati is a very good team. So I thought this would be a little bit higher, but they think Memphis can still compete without Coxy. I find that pretty interesting. And I think Brady White, because of Price, is automatically out of play, except for just game stacks. I do not want to play Brady White, who's a pocket statue. He's positive rushing yards this year, but he has two straight years of negative rushing yards overall. He had one long run, and I think he probably finishes with negative rushing yards again this year. So you're hoping he gets the 300-yard bonus, and this is easily the most difficult matchup he's faced all year without his NFL-ready number one receiver.
0: I, I don't know. This is a game when I, when I looked at it, I thought that Memphis might be, you know, 10, 11-point underdog. To be honest, uh, maybe I'm overrating. Cincinnati looked like a. They took SMU to the woodshed. Uh, this is a good, good team, and I, I don't know exactly what to make of them. They're not the most interesting team on the DFS side of things. Ritter in the running game. I mean, what do, you, what do you make of A, how good is Cincinnati, and B, what kind of offense do you think we see from them today?
1: Ritter's largely been a game manager through his career, but this is the best matchup, I think, all year that he's going to face in the pass game. Unfortunately, he's only averaging 25 pass attempts per game in 180 yards, so does he get there on efficiency? I think that's a major question. He does have dual threat ability, so 250 yards on the ground. He did have a 179-yard rushing game against SMU last week, which is largely driving this. And he actually hasn't passed for 300 yards since 2018. He's only done that twice in his career. So I really question the upside with Ritter at 8,300. I mean, if you want to look to the 100-yard rushing bonus, he's actually hit that three times in his career, and he's already done so once this year. So maybe he's a contrarian option to, I don't know, backdoor his way into one of these bonuses but i don't think it's very likely
0: do you worry about because to me even though he's had some rushing alcohol anomalies i think Dokes is firmly in play at flat seven and he's still going to get his on the ground what what do you make of him does ritter impact that and do you feel comfortable going to the cincinnati ground game
1: yeah i think we can Dokes has at least 20 carries in back-to-back games we saw them his rushing share is depressed a little bit because they, you know, they faced Austin P early in the year. So I wouldn't make too much if you're looking at just his rushing share in the backfield. I don't think it's going to be a problem. He still should probably get around 20 carries, even though the matchup against the the run defense for Memphis is a little bit more difficult. They've been a pass funnel this year. I don't think that makes a big difference.
0: So if we if we stick with that though, before we move on on the outside you have the pick of basically any there is no expensive receivers for cincinnati you've got tucker you've got pierce who's back 4200 uh is it just a bunch of guys getting work is there anyone who could really rise to the top of the target chair here or is it just a very very balanced offense
1: i think pierce is pretty clearly their wide receiver one when he's healthy and that's something he just hasn't been this year he came back from his injury last week immediately had six targets. And he's running around on almost every drop back. So I think he's the wide receiver one. Again, I always talk about my Notre Dame transfers. Michael Young is the other top wide receiver in this, this group. He leads the team with 20 targets and 20 targets is not ideal on the, the course of a year. He's only managed 25 receiving yards per game. So I wouldn't look to Michael Young. It's basically going to be Alec Pierce or, or no one else I think in the past game.
0: I'm, I'm, I have not done it yet, but I'm looking to possibly bet Cincinnati in this spot. i I think I'm pretty sold that they are cut above these other teams in the American and they look crisp. I, I wouldn't be stunned to see them get a little buzz uh, if they start running the table in this wacky year. So keep an eye on what Cincinnati does today. All right. Now we're getting serious. LSU Auburn one and a half point spread uh, for the road. LSU Tigers 63 and a half point total though. And this is just life in the sec right now. Um, LSU's defense certainly not what it was what do we do with this team Uh, Brennan? is he officially out
1: he I don't think they've officially ruled him out but you know at the beginning of the week they said he's going to practice we're going to see and then like midweek they had an update like this guy still hasn't practiced so I think he I would put him at doubtful like extremely doubtful just hasn't officially been ruled out yet
0: so DraftKings did anticipate this though it's not like this guy is 5,000 T.J. Finley will be the next man up, 7,300. I guess we can start there. If if Brennan sits as he's expected to do, is the backup LSU quarterback in play?
1: He's another one of these huge QBs. He's 6'6", 250 pounds. Oh, man. I mean, LSU did change their offense drastically when he, he played last week. He only threw 21 passes. He was very efficient, 265 yards and a pair of scores there. He also added 24 rushing yards himself. So I think that makes him a fairly solid price adjusted play. But I just have a little bit of, of worry here. Is LSU going to embrace the run with their new freshman quarterback?
0: Yeah, that's the interesting part. I mean, if they do, they have a couple backs that are really going to get some work. Did they cannibalize each other enough where they're not playable in Davis price and Emory? Uh, and then I guess, do, do you think they'll have success against, you know, Auburn's front suffered some losses. Do you think LSU can just stick to the ground game and be successful
1: here? I think they can uh, Davis price. He had 22 rushing attempts and his, his backfield mate, John Emory, he had 18 himself. They, they ran the ball 40 times in their previous game. Now this projects to be a very close game. So I'm not sure the rush attempts rise to those same levels, but neither of them are expensive price is 6,100 emery's 58 i think that's targetable in the range if you're playing stacks
0: man this is going to be this is the team there's always one team on a slate where it's like i if i could just take a crystal ball i would want to see lsu over any other team it's just a lot of players that i i think are interesting but very hard to prioritize on the outside uh Terrence Marshall, obviously Chase is not there. 7,800, pretty expensive, but for good reason. Um, Is he a priority in terms of where you want to spend up on the slate?
1: He's tough. I think if you're stacking this LSU game, and it seems like we have a lot of games with totals below 60. This is one of the few games with a total above 60, so it seems like people are going to try to stack this game. I am still worried about the run-heavy approach LSU took last week, but if you do stack the past game, Terrence Marshall is by far the clear stacking option. He has a 26% target share this year, averaging 8.5 targets per game just north of that, and he's averaging over 100 receiving yards. He's basically a threat for the 100-yard bonus every single week on DraftKings. The problem is, how much do you think Finley coming in affects this? And it did have an effect last week. Does it this week in a competitive game against Auburn? I think that remains to be seen, but I am at least a little bit weary.
0: Yeah, I think trying to figure out the game script here is really important. And in some ways, honestly, I feel like Marshall is almost – better served as a runback option because if auburn really gets out ahead lsu might have to throw more uh i don't think there's anything else obviously gilbert is a guy that he's going to be really good and he is really good but i do you think he gets enough at 4100 to warrant consideration here
1: probably not this team reminds me a lot of clemson where it's uh... It's a big timeshare, and it's not. I don't think it's because they're blowing teams out. I think they're just figuring out their offense still. And we we even saw this last year. Like the first three weeks of the year, Clyde edwards hilaire was not their clear-cut back. He was splitting time with some of the backs we already mentioned.
0: Yeah, and LSU obviously, like I said, it's been a weird, weird year down there. Um, this will be a, a, an interesting test for them. On the other side, we got we got Bo Nix, um, we've got Tank's Bigsby, we've got Seth Williams and Co. I mean, LSU, you got to get over the name. I see LSU defense and I get freaked out 30 point team total here. They're just not the same unit right now. Uh, Still have some talent. There's no doubt. But do you think Bo Nix is viable and kind of how do you think Auburn approaches this game?
1: I do think he's semi-viable because the total in the game is nice. Bo Nix actually has some good volume. He's throwing 35 times per game. He's just super inefficient, only averaging 221 yards on that volume. And this is with, I think he's a pair of NFL receivers, and he certainly has one in Seth Williams. And Anthony Schwartz with his speed. The kid ran a 4-3-4 coming out of high school at a Nike Spark camp, which uses verified laser timing. Like, the dude has Olympic speed. And, and Bo Nix can only put up 221 yards in this offense. Uh, I'm just not sure the talent overall with Nix. He rushes the ball a little bit. So, I mean, in good matchups, like last week, people were targeting Nix. I think you could as an outside consideration this week, just because his receivers are so talented.
0: Would you would you rather go to the Auburn passing name than go to Bigsby in the backfield?
1: I like Bigsby. His volume's good. He's starting to pull away from D.J. Williams and Sean Shivers. Career-high 24, 24 carries last week. He's averaging just over 85 rushing yards per game. And that's only, only rising for him. So I think you could take a look at him. He's very close in price to a guy like Kyron Williams. He's close to, to Garrett Doak. So I'm not sure I prefer him over those options.
0: Last thing on the LSU, you know, on the Auburn LSU game that I want to ask you, and it's do you like, you know, obviously in the NFL and it's a hot topic ever with shadows. Like, do you factor in Stingley specifically over other top end corners? Uh, Do you think he goes to Williams directly or is that not even in a consideration for you?
1: I think he could. I'm honestly not 100% sure what they do with him. They have so many weaknesses everywhere else.
0: (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Um, Yeah. I, to me, I don't think it's, it's something overly concerning. I guess he could shadow, but Like you said, LSU's defense has some holes, and and I just don't know if everything is cut and dry about how they want to approach it. So uncertain game, and as we say a lot on this show, you have uncertainty like this, I think that's a good spot to target. You can really stack up either side. You have good run backs. And this game could get out and get moving. There's no doubt, a ton of talent on these teams. Uh, All right, we jump back to the Big 12. Man, we should just eliminate the Big 12. Uh, TCU and Baylor... TC is a three-point road favorite. Over under, again, 47. These are very low for college totals. Um, So this is expected to be reasonable. At least we get to talk about Dugan. 6,800. Chad has mentioned him a lot. I think the hot question is, would you rather have him or would you rather have uh, Clemson's now starting QB, but the backup for Clemson?
1: I would rather have Clemson's backup starting QB, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. You're not even attempting to say his
0: name, so I know it's got to be bad
1: like a Laley or something?
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty
1: brutal. I don't know how to say it either. But anyway, yes, I prefer the Clemson quarterback. Dugan, I just don't think has as much upside. Really poor game environment. Tough matchup against a strong Baylor defense. I mean, pass attempts for him have been down this year. They're down from last year. They're playing slower football. He's only averaging 227 passing yards per game. That's pretty depressed compared to what we saw last year. He's been better. He's been more efficient. And he does give you something on the ground. So he is worthwhile. And that is at least a conversation worth having
0: anything else in terms of tcu's offense uh like you think they attack on the ground i mean we mentioned like i said i'm not overly sold uh on dugan either i would side with you and with the clemson kid what do you make of the rest of it the skill position players though i i don't love the matchup it doesn't stand out but i'm not completely turned off by like tay barber
1: and co i think tay barber is the only one you can look at and i don't even love tay barber Every position is basically a rotation. Running back, they're using like five or six guys. DeMarco Foster led the group with five carries last week. Tay Barber only has 25 targets this year. That leads the team. That's great that he's the target leader, but it's not useful for DFS when you're averaging right around five per game.
0: <sighs> yeah, not much here. On the other side, though, we got Baylor, who I think it's time. I don't think there's anyone really out there with Charlie Brewer's stock. If you have it, though, uh, you probably stuck with me on that Titanic. I think it might be time to sell. Not a lot happening in this offense. He, he's not running, not even though he, you know, 38 pass attempts is just not not really getting there. 6,500. Do, do you see much, or would you much rather go? Uh, you mentioned in your article, which is free on the site. You should go check that out. TCU, more of more of a run funnel defense. Uh, I assume you're not super into Charlie Brewer this week.
1: No, I'm not into Charlie Brewer, and I think they're probably going to move away from from the pass game after Dave Aranda had a mini-mutiny on his hands three games into the year because he hires failed UNC offensive coordinator Larry Fedora, and obviously he pissed off John Lovett and Tristan Abner, giving them four and five carries respectively last week because they opted out of the program only to be convinced to return, so I don't know, maybe this is a squeaky wheel narrative in a good matchup against TCU's bad run defense, but... This has been a terrible offense to target, evidenced by their players trying to leave the program.
0: Yeah, that's not the greatest situation. In terms of them, you've got Ebner at 55 and Lovett at 4,200. Uh, is the price gap warranted? Or are you just taking the savings because you see them as equals? How, how do you think that distribution may go in the backfield?
1: I think it's a bad pricing because Lovett's actually seeing more work. So it's clearly Lovett for me.
0: Anything else from Baylor? Uh, I- need I assume no
1: man Charlie Brewer being so bad really hurts all these receivers I want to like Tyquan Thornton so much I know he has the one target game to start the year that's depressing his target share overall but he has 15 targets in back-to-back games but he only has 67 receiving yards and it's because he's primarily used down the field he's Baylor's downfield target but Brewer just cannot get him the ball so these are like low calorie downfield targets that just aren't accurate
0: yeah, it's a bad, bad game. Um, any feel on the betting? Like, for me, it would be TCU or pass. There's no chance that I back Baylor. I'm not sure I'm going to back anyone in this game, though.
1: I'm not betting this game. There's no yeah. way.
0: I just I love to bet. Betting against Baylor is one of my main hobbies in life, but I don't know if I'm going to do it here. I think I'll probably just stay away. All right. Notre Dame 20 and a half point road favorite over under 58 and a half heading into Georgia tech who again, Georgia tech. Apparently Sims has like 30 career starts because they play every week. We've seen so much of this team. Uh, We'll start with Notre Dame. Obviously Ian book is a damn good player, but rarely do I think he massive upside. You've already alluded to Kyron Williams in the backfield 7,200. You got to like that price. Three touchdown favorite. How do the Irish rack up the points today?
1: It's probably on the ground the same way they've uh, they've just been doing that all year. Ian Book is a low volume quarterback in a run heavy attack. He's averaging 25 pass attempts per game and just north of 200 yards. He has similar dual threat ability to maybe a guy like I don't know Brock Purdy. So he's not a threat to get you the 100 yard bonus, but he's not a zero in that in that that realm either. But they're just not going to be throwing the ball, and they haven't done that at all this year. They they returned to every single offensive lineman on their team. They played a cupcake schedule, and they have another cupcake opponent here.
0: So looking at Kyron Williams, obviously at 7,200, we like it, but I want to try to put it in context for people. Um, Do you have him point – like – Would you rather take him as a savings off guys like Brees Hall and Letty Brown? Do you think that you can use both of them in lineups and save elsewhere? Uh, How how do you kind of navigate the lineup construction at running back, particularly in the upper
1: ranges? I do prefer to come off Brees Hall for players like Kyron Williams. There's a lot of good runners in this upper six, low 7K range, and Kyron Williams is one of them. His opportunity share is actually a little bit depressed because they've throttled a couple of their opponents. They played USF, and Kyron Williams barely played a half. They also played Pitt last week without Kenny Pickett, and that was another slaughtering. Kyron Williams saw a depressed opportunity in that contest as well. When they're semi-competitive, he eclipses 20 touches pretty easily. He's also a phenomenal pass catcher. like He's second on the team in receiving yards. Yeah, that's...
0: Do you look, so looking, it's funny you say that, because looking at their receivers, uh, there's not much there. Obviously, they're pretty reasonable priced. Skrournick or whatever his name is, 55 is a little premium. Uh, Is the efficiency and lack of volume just really transitioning to the wide receivers? Does that make them in a tough spot as well? And we just kind of stick to the ground game here?
1: Yeah, I don't think they're they're targetable. And Skaronic only had three targets last week. He gets priced up to five point five K because he has two scores, but just three targets for Skyronic. I mean it's it's a disaster. McKinley leaves the team with 18 targets.
0: Do you think Notre Dame is any good? Side
1: note. Dude, I don't know. They haven't played anyone good yet. And I know. Like, can you believe that they might face Clemson without Trevor Lawrence?
0: Yeah, I can because this team runs as pure as pure can be.
1: Um, how how are you going to take Clemson immediately when this line opens? Because I think I am.
0: Yes, yes. I hope somehow, some way that Clemson sleepwalks again today, and I get it low, and then it'll be swift, swift justice. But I don't know. I mean, you, listen. If there's one thing we do know that, and you've talked about this extensively on the show, Notre Dame's offensive line can hang with anybody, uh including Clemson. They have that good of a unit up front, and when you have that, there's always an avenue, but. I'm, I'm a little uns- unsure that they can stop guys like ETN. We'll be talking about it next week, but let's go to Georgia tech here. Jeff Sims. Again, we've seen a lot of him. He's 5,500. He's got some dual threat ability. He's going to get himself into trouble here and there, but he gets a lot of volume. I just wonder where he's really at at this point uh, in a tough, tough matchup. Do you worry about him? And do you worry about this Georgia tech offense?
1: Yeah, I'm a little worried about Jeff Sims. They pulled him last week in the third quarter, and I'm not sure it's because he was playing bad. He was playing bad, but they were just getting slaughtered. So we did see a little bit of James Graham. I think that's a concern. Georgia Tech doesn't seem to give players very long of leashes, and I, I think he's really the only guy worth talking about here. Like Jameer Gibbs had it had some value early in the year when Jordan Mason was out. Jordan Mason's back, so it's it's a timeshare again with Jeff Sims struggling none of the receivers are playing really well and they're all in a timeshare anyway so it's just a tough offense to get to
0: yeah i i listen i i just don't see it Notre dame is stout low team total just a bad spot for them um they've shown flashes at times i just i don't think this is it and again this is 13 games you have a lot of options at every price point you don't need to force things there's just better games out there uh I guess this is one of them. So we go back to the Big Ten. We've got Indiana, 13 point favorite on the road against Rutgers, 53 point total. How about them Hoosers last week? Fantastic. That was sweet, sweet justice for that kid on Penn State scoring. He pulled the Todd Gurley, and then Indiana won in overtime. I was very happy. Sorry to the Penn State backers. Uh, I want, I want your thoughts on Indiana though. This is a team that there is some talk about them in the big 10. I didn't think that Penix was overly great. He obviously made a spectacular play to win that game. 6,200 for him 31, just slightly over 31 point team total. What do you make of Indiana in the spot and just them in general?
1: I like Indiana a lot in this spot. And Indiana was a fun team to target even last year when they were dealing with some talent deficiencies and they returned a lot of their team this year, which obviously helps them in the big 10 but they run a lot of plays, and they're pass-heavy, and that's fantastic for DFS. Penix in particular, is very cheap at 6,200. And Penix is a weird guy to evaluate. He had the 36 pass attempts, so that's pretty in line with what Indiana is typically, typically going to do. Just 170 passing yards is really bad. But Penix does have dual-threat ability. He was recruited as a dual-threat quarterback, and he took thir- three sacks last week, ends up with negative 18 rushing yards. But we still need to fall back on what Penix is known for, his dual threat ability. So I do think he will give you something on the ground over the course of the year. I think at 6,200, he's a fine play. And his target share is very condensed between two receivers and Wap Fowler and Ty Fry Fogle.
0: Gotta love Wap Fowler I love that guy. Uh, 5,400 to me is very reasonable if you want to go there. Um, yeah, nope, he missed nope. like a
1: 60-yard bomb touchdown last week, too.
0: He's he's just a player. He's going to get, you mentioned, condensed target share. I don't think it's crazy to think Indiana, not that they're going to be throwing late per se. Uh, I think that the the wild card is Penix on the ground. I know it was one game. Really surprising, though. There were opportunities there, I thought, to run, and they didn't employ that. They did get it done, though. Have a big time back. Uh, Stevie Scott can play 7,400. He is another guy. So, again, I want to put it in context for people, Matt, because this is one of the things you do best. You've got Kyron Williams, you've got dokes, you've got Scott. How do you rank these guys in that? It's kind of that second tier of running backs.
1: I like Scott a lot. I think he's towards the top. I think it's Kyron and Scott in that range. Scott is back to back 1,000 yard seasons. And now they are 10 point favorites against Rutgers. His volume is going to be some of the best on the entire slate. He had 20 carries last week. He's very active as a pass catcher and he has been throughout his career. So Stevie Scott's going to be a very nice option today
0: any cheapies whether it's you mentioned Marshall's in the concussion protocol uh the tight end is 3600 for indiana do we need to look that low or are those kind of just peripheral type plays
1: you certainly can peyton hendershot is too cheap he's uh who to compare him to i don't i don't have a good comparison off the top of my head but maybe like a charlie kohler type athlete where last year he had 622 receiving yards, which is pretty good for a college tight end. So Peyton Hendershot is going to be active in some games, only four targets last week, but he was out there running around on 90% of dropbacks, and he does run some out of the slot too. So Hendershot, I think, is if you just don't have the money to pay up for Freifogel or Filer, your Filer and Freifogel are clearly the better options. Hendershot's a decent consolation prize, has some end zone equity there as well.
0: Yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, I, I don't want to say Brevin Jordan, but I don't know. I kind of I thought of that a little. Um, yeah. yeah, that makes some sense. Yeah, I don't know if it's that good, but yeah, it's a cheap price. Obviously, if we're really looking to pay up for, say, a couple top-end running backs, you can look there. Um, on the Rutgers side, so again, it's only one game. Obviously, you beat Michigan State, you beat Michigan State. There's nothing certainly wrong with that, and I'm sure they're excited. They don't get to say that too often. Greg Schiano, you know, 21-point team total. It couldn't be worse. I mean, last year they would have games where they they would have like four yards passing. I'm not exaggerating. Obviously, it seems like they figured something out. What do you make of the Rutgers offense? Uh, are they even remotely good?
1: It still remains to be seen, I think. I mean, they are they are doing a little bit more. So not just Greg shiano is the head coach, but Sean Gleason is now the OC, former coordinator of Oklahoma State. That Oklahoma State team was a lot more efficient than Rutgers last year, just as far as a, a peripheral standpoint. Like they were fifth in plays per fiftieth, ga- excuse me, in place per game, and they passed forty-one percent of the time. I don't love their signal caller, no Vidral, but if they're going to be passing the ball a decent amount, I think you can look to some of their pass catchers. And if we really like Indiana and we think maybe we want to stack this game, I think we should be looking at some of the cheaper guys on this team. Bo Melton, I think, is their number one wide receiver. Still only saw six targets last week, which was tied with Aaron Crookshank. But Crookshank is more of a gadgety player. He wasn't on the field about 60% of the time for Crookshank and nearly 100% for Melton. He would be the player I prefer.
0: So do you prefer in terms of, is it more game script that they're probably going to be trailing? Or do you think that the best way to attack Indiana is through the air?
1: I think it's because they're going to be trailing.
0: Okay. Because specifically, I mean... Obviously, Blackshear is gone. Pacheco, 6,800. It's going to have some work. I think the volume will be there. I just worry about the efficiency per se. What What do you make of him in the backfield?
1: So it was like a 60-40, 70-30 split with him and Aaron Young. It's a good matchup for them. Indiana did not defend the run very well last week. But I think game script is the, the main question here. Do you think Rutgers can hang with Indiana long enough to... Have Pacheco or Young get enough carries? I'm not convinced that that will happen. And Pacheco at 6,800, I'm just going to play Dokes, Kyron, Stevie Scott on the other side. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's a it's a crowded range and and one that I think if I fell into, you just mentioned it. There are other guys. I could see him being phased out. The volume, it's not a bell cow situation, and I'm I'm just kind of high on Indiana in general. I know they didn't defend the run great last week but I think they're better than that we'll see what Penn we're gonna we're gonna have some time at the end of the show I'm asking you about Ohio State so get ready for that um all right we got a couple games left I do want to get a couple questions from Chad and if we have some time we'll, we'll do some rapid fire with you but do you uh, you're kind of alluding to it right now is there a pay down option at, at wide receiver I know we're kind of going on a macro view here
1: I think it depends on the, the price, but there are a few that are fairly cheap. And once in this game, like Fry Fogle is very cheap, like Charlie Collar. I know there's some win concerns in that game. He's pretty cheap as well. Alec Pierce for Cincinnati is the wide receiver one there. He's 4.2 K. I mean, if we're going to look really cheap down at the the bottom of pricing, I don't think there's a ton of guys that are viable. Like, I don't think we're playing anyone at the stone min. Did you see anyone down there that you liked?
0: Not that low. Uh, we just talked about him, though. I think that Hendershot at 36 is very interesting. I really do. Um,
1: I like Hendershot, too. He reminds me of Charlie Kohler.
0: Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's you could, When you're getting down there, obviously, part of, of course, you want them to put up points, but you're also unlocking permutations that other people can't get. So if you think for some reason that ETN and Brees Hall have mega mind games, Well, you can live with just a middling game from Hendershot because you're really getting those points elsewhere. There's not that many ways to do it. So I don't mind it. I would look there if you're really in a jam. Um, All right, we're back to the SEC. We're bouncing all over the place. My God, Vanderbilt, here we go. Ole Miss, 17 and a half point road. I mean, there's there's crazy and then there's Vanderbilt. 63 and a half point total that just shows you how bad Old Miss's defense is because Vanderbilt's got issues but we'll start with Mississippi 34 point team total it's Matt Corral's team he's 8,500 uh, I guess he's a dual threat now what do we do with him and with this Mississippi offense
1: yeah Matt Corral's regressed a little bit he got off to just a, a blazing start and since then he's a fi- he's failed to eclipse 200 passing yards in each of his last two games and prior to his you know three 300 yard passing games to start the year. He'd never had a 300 yard passing game in his career. So I'm starting to wonder whether that was just a little blip on the radar before people adjusted to this Ole Miss offense. But overall, he's still completing 67% of his passes averaging nearly 290 yards. So that's worth something. Very good dual threat ability too, over 250 cumulative rushing yards on the year. I think the problem here is we just get Ole Miss as a heavy favorite and they've shown that they're not exactly willing to just ride a pass first approach, even when they're winning they're passing the ball just forty-one percent of the time, so they will run these backs a lot when they are winning.
0: Yeah, and you just said backs plural, and it's true. Obviously, Ely's going to get his. People asking about value for wide receivers is Snoop Connor a reasonable discount if you want to pay down at running back?
1: Yeah, for sure. If we look to their touches, Ely's averaging nineteen point two, but Snoop Connor's averaging fourteen point two. Fourteen point two at four thousand three hundred is more than viable.
0: It really is, and it's it's just. It, it kind of feels weird just because you think about Ole Miss, or at least I do, and I think, oh, my God, they're throwing it all over the place. Uh, yeah, Ely in the backfield, but it's true. Lane Kiffin has shown the, the ability to do that, and if there ever was a game where they could lean on the run, it would be this one. Uh, God, I, we know Elijah Moore is fantastic. 8400 though, I feel like that's a pretty tough price to get to, given this slate.
1: I agree, and it's because of all the premier backs we have. Yep. I, I would normally like to target Elijah Moore, but again, how competitive is Vanderbilt? Do they keep this game close enough where we get to see a ceiling game out of him? And I think that's a serious question.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Vanderbilt is just really, really bad. Um, I don't know what to say, honestly. You've got Seals, he's flat five, but we've already talked about a couple of quarterbacks um, that are really low, low price this week. I mean, you can start there. What 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 do you make of this team? What do you think will win out? We know Ole Miss defense is bad, but Vanderbilt's offense to me is worse.
1: I think it is. And my my goodness, like Ken Seals, <laughs> I was surprised to see their team total come in so high because Ken Seals has four hundred and eleven passing yards in three games. He's a zero on the ground. Negative rushing yards. Like at this price, why not just play like Gatewood or Jalen Daniels?
0: Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, I, I would rather play Gatewood. Um, I would too. I just... Uh, all right, in the backfield, Wakefield, I don't even know what to say. Is there any... Let me just ask you like this. Is there anybody on Vanderbilt's offense that you think could cause problems? And In particular, they're all very cheap. That's the one thing. Is there anyone that you could warrant as a punt play? Say you want to really load up. Uh, do you think there's, in large field tournaments... Some against the grain ability to say, I'm gonna go corral and more, I'm gonna allocate my salary there and I want to run it back with a Vanderbilt player. Uh no one's really gonna do that. Do you think that's even a path this week?
1: Probably not, unless i mean, I mean it's not very viable to me, and I'm certainly not doing that. I X'd Vanderbilt out of my player pool. But if yep. you're doing that and you want to take a guy, I would pick Cam Johnson. Like the Vanderbilt leading receiver has 13 targets. And there are three receivers that have 13 targets. If you just look at the rec- receiving yardage leader, it's Cam Johnson. He has 127 in three games.
0: Is Derek Mason going to get fired?
1: I mean, he hasn't gotten fired yet. And I he's know. been there for a while.
0: He really has. They had They had some teams though. Uh, like, yeah, they, they had Vaughn and I can't remember their tight end. Who was the tight end? Do you remember that guy's name?
1: Uh, I don't remember his name, but he ran like a four nine forty.
0: Yeah, that was frowned upon, Um, but he was good in college. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. All right. We've got a couple games left. This is maybe, you know, you could argue uh, the premier one on the slate. We go to the big 12. We've got Texas. We've got Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State at home again in Stillwater, three and a half point favorite. Over under, though, very reasonable, 58 and a half. We're not seeing those 75-point totals. Uh, We'll start with Texas. Ellinger is the most expensive player on the slate. He's almost $10,000. Simple question. Is he worth that type of money, or do we want to
1: save and go elsewhere? No, he's not, and... We need Ellinger in really competitive pass-first game environments for him to pay off that salary. He's averaging 37 attempts per game and just shy of 300 yards that's steadily been falling over the last couple of weeks. Oklahoma State might be the best defense he's faced this year. So not only is it a tough matchup for for Ellinger, but we've seen Texas try to go run heavy when they're leading in games. I'm not sure why they're doing it. It's clearly not a strength of their team, but for whatever reason they continue to do so, which has hurt Ellinger and I mean, Ellinger is the leading rusher on this team, which is shocking just by itself. But it's split four ways, and he's still not going to be able to 100-yard bonus you on the ground. Oh, no, certainly not. I mean, his value on the ground is that he could score
0: four touchdowns around the goal line. Um, I, You mentioned the, the backfield is a complete mess. I thought Ingram would emerge. He is not. In fact, he just fumbles every time so that's just brutal texas is brutal man I, all their games devolve into crazy shootouts but i don't like the spot you've talked at length. you know they had some injuries on the outside and now it's just a bunch of guys certainly jake smith is back and whatnot you got more Drake black eagles is there anyone that you think emerges or is this just despite being a, a prolific offense just a tough spot against a good oklahoma state defense
1: I think Joshua Moore's their top receiver. He's the one running the most routes, and he's seen the most targets this year. But with Texas taking more of a run-heavy approach, he had just three targets last week.
0: You know, Chad just mentioned Texas is the Atlanta Falcons. I don't think that that's that crazy of comparison. I see some Falcons ineptitude in this team. Uh, I'm going to (laughs) start saying that and packaging it like I thought of it. So shout out to Chad for that. On the other side, this team, it hasn't been you know stellar and pretty at times but you know what unlike a lot of teams oklahoma state is finding ways to win they did it against tulsa they did it against iowa state sanders is back Uh, i mean i guess we could talk about him briefly 6600 he doesn't stand out either way for me i like guys below him and i like guys above him uh anything for for the oklahoma state quarterback
1: he has dual threat ability he does which is He's never passed for 300 yards in a game in his career, so he's not getting you the 300-yard bonus. So he needs to get you that 100-yard rushing bonus to pay off, and I don't think he does.
0: No, I don't think he does either. Uh, He's fine. He's got obviously major weapons, two of them. Start with Chuba. It's been an up- it hasn't been the year I think people envisioned for him, but he's still a damn good player, and he gets absurd usage. Flat8K, same old question. Is it him or is it, again, the guys in the sevens or up to Letty Brown, ETN, or Brees Hall?
1: Chuba's kind of in a range between those two price tiers that I'm not getting to a lot, which maybe makes him a little bit contrarian. I mean, I'm not the one that drives ownership here. But Chuba Hubbard, 120 rushing yards per game is great. He's averaging 24.8 opportunities, also great. But it's all coming via carries. So he's not someone that offers you a lot. As a pass catcher, and when you can get guys like Kyra Williams, Dokes, Stevie Scott, just a little bit cheaper, and maybe they see three or four fewer opportunities but have pass catching upside, I do think it makes up for some of the limited opportunities overall and is worth it to me as far as the salary you're saving.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's just tough with a guy like Chuba in the sense, of course, you can have a monster game. But he doesn't have that kind of backup plan. If he doesn't score multiple touchdowns, it's almost impossible because you just mentioned he's not going to give you those dump offs. He's not going to give you that floor with full point PPR. On the outside, uh, like I said, Sanders has Tylen Wallace to lean on, big time receiver. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just a little tricky. He's getting the usage. Just not a team that always thrives in high upside games like the 7100 seems reasonable what what do you do with him? basically is what I'm asking
1: this is I mean if there's one thing to say about Oklahoma State, they are very condensed like all of the opportunities go to yeah. two guys. so I think that's really the only argument you're making, but it's still not the best game environment overall. so I think I'm going to be hands off outside of just big tournaments.
0: I, I want to be more. It's funny. I, I look at him. He's, I, I like him as a player. I mean, I know he's coming off major injury, but he's having him. He's going to get the looks. They go to him early and often. I don't think it's impossible to think that Texas is out in front in this game, even though I'm not betting Texas, that's certainly a scenario. It's a competitive spread. I still though, when you look at lineup construction, it just feels like, I, I mean, and I, I I'll pass this to you. The majority of your salary is going towards running back in terms of premier options this week. Yes, it is. Yeah, I I feel like that's the move. Um, Yeah, so, all right, let's get through this last game. We'll take a couple questions. we bounce bouncing out of here. We have shows coming up. NFL Final Look, Greg Ehrenberg coming right next. Obviously, there's MMA. Got all things going on at Awesome, which is why you should get in. Join Awesome Plus again. Pumpkin, $10.31. And we're breaking records here. This is the most viewers we've ever had for the show. We appreciate you. Uh, if you can hit those likes, we're going to pump it up over a hundred right at the end here, doing some things, ah, those damn golfers. Anyway, Virginia Tech, Louisville, last game on the slate. It's a pretty good one though. Uh, we've, we've seen these teams, Hokies, three and a half point road favorite good over under though, 67 and a half. This is going to be one to target Matt. I tell you what, I, I like Virginia Tech in life kind of root for them um, for no real reason. I just do. I don't know what to make of them this year. I really don't. They've shown some struggles. They've had some COVID situations. We'll start with Hayden Hooker, you know, under center, 8,800. He's back. He's good. What do you make of him? He's obviously someone that can do some things on the ground.
1: Hooker. I like Hooker quite a bit, and he's probably the best pure dual threat quarterback on the slate. The problem with targeting him is he's 8,800, which is cost prohibitive to the rest of your lineups if you're trying to jam in some of these studs back. So where does Hooker fall in? He wasn't fantastic as a passer last week. It was the first real voluminous passing game we've seen from Hooker. He's averaging just 21 attempts per game outside of that. He does have the 291 rushing yards on the ground, and he's averaging an absurd 6.5 yards per carry, which includes his negative sack yardage. So I think Hooker is in play. If you're playing Hooker in your lineup, you're hoping that he accounts for most of the rushing yards, and then he gives you what whatever he gives you as a passer. So I don't think you need to stack him, but I think he's an outside consideration in GPPs.
0: So yeah, there we go. So you obviously play him alone. Would you, if you did stack him, would it be Robinson?
1: Probably Robinson. I think Mitchell does have some viability. They're essentially seeing the same targets here, but but Robinson will give you a little bit as a rusher. He's used as like a gadgety type player. Robinson's also the guy they use downfield more so if you're just looking for big play upside I think it's him
0: so then you have the other situation obviously Hooker can get it done but so can Cleo Herbert in the backfield 7900 another guy just loaded again these running backs are stacked ah uh, boy uh, again I don't know this is why I'm confused we year was someone I was really high on uh, obviously this backfield a little different um What do you make of Herbert? What do you think his usage will be? And are you on him as as a play in the spot?
1: I like Herbert. He's getting it done off of efficiency. He's averaging just 15 carries per game, but he has 131 rushing yard average, which is, I mean, just straight up ridiculous. There were talks of him being a dark horse Heisman candidate at the beginning of the year, but Raheem Blackshear does mix into this offense and Raheem Blackshear's 3,600. He started spelling Cleo Herbert quite a bit even just last week. If we look to their snapshots last week, Herbert played on 76% of snaps, and Blackshear himself was in on 50%. That's a, a pretty decent split at the running back position.
0: No no doubt about it. On the other side, Louisville is a team that we have seen quite a bit of. You know, They've had some tough matchups, played some good teams. Malik Cunningham, flat eight. Javion Hawkins, obviously, he's still running against Florida State. 2-2 Atwell, big-time names, What do we make of them? Condensed offense, in my opinion. How do you like Louisville in the spot?
1: Yeah, we love the condensed offense. It's basically just Cunningham, Hawkins, and Atwell. And you can kind of forget about the rest outside of just big game stacks. Hawkins comes into this week priced up, of course, after he was megatruck last week and got there off pure efficiency. But he will get a ton of opportunities when Louisville's in competitive games. He's averaging 20.8 opportunities per game, over 100 rushing yards. And he adds in a little bit as a receiver. The best matchup against Virginia Tech's defense comes on the ground. This team is allowing over 200 rushing yards per game, which sets up Hawkins for another smash spot.
0: Yeah, I listen, he's another guy that I feel pretty good at targeting in that 7K range. Uh, so it's just about prioritizing him and Kyron and co. All right, we've got like a couple of minutes left. Two quick questions from chat. One, um, we're, they're asking about Jay Sean Jackson on, on Cincinnati, 3,800 is he one of those guys sub-4K you think you could look to?
1: No, he's not playing a full complement of snaps, and he seems pretty clearly behind Alec Pierce and Michael Young.
0: And then I, I haven't confirmed this. I'm just reading off chat, so I, we'll have to check the news. Obviously, that's one of the many reasons you should follow both of us on Twitter. Uh, if George Pickens is out, possibly, uh, Kyrus Jackson, question mark?
1: He'll see an increased snap share, and he's already the target leader. He's not running around on every single dropback, which I find very interesting. So I think that would be beneficial i don't see any george pickens news
0: yeah I, i'm not sure about that so we'll have to keep an eye on everything i will say okay last thing oh they
1: tweeted it just what now. do you make it's legit it came oh, from a verified it account it says he's not expected to play so nothing uh nothing verified yet right. but it looks like he could be out and kenny mcintosh
0: there you go Hmm.
1: interesting
0: now, what do you make? Uh, we've talked about some bets on this slate. I know this seems pretty fishy and kind of square. I think Ohio State rolls them tonight. I'm not going to lie. I think they go right in. It's not going to be 110,000 white out. What do you make of that game?
1: Penn State had some of the yeah, worst opt outs in the the Big Ten. So I do agree with you. I mean, that game against best Indiana best
0: linebacker should, in the country.
1: Yeah, he's going to be a top five pick, at least a top ten pick. He's out. They had a. a I That's mean, some of their receivers transferred. It's just a tough spot for Penn State. I do agree with you. I like Ohio State in that spot. I saw their first half line was yeah. six and a half, which I don't know about you. I, I already bet it. Yeah. Okay. So we're in the. I bet we're Ohio this,
0: State in every way possible.
1: Yeah. Yes, I was six I, and a I, half first half line was egregious to me.
0: I just think they're too explosive. They've got guys. I'm not sold on Penn State. I'm really not. You mentioned the opt outs we'll see. again, it's not the same without the fans. So on that note, chat, thanks for sticking with us. Ton of fun here. We got to get out of here though. Set it up, turn it over. Uh, stay tuned though. More shows coming on the Osmo awesome network here. Good luck, everyone. If you have questions, get in Slack, certainly hit up Matt on Twitter. He's always there keeping everyone informed. Good luck this week in college football. We will both see you tomorrow NFL action on the Osmo awesome network. Good luck,